I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Zian Mendes with you. Uh, once again, our pal Haley Salvian is on Olympic duty. So guess what? We liked him so much last week. Julian McKenzie is back uh, as a pinch hitter this week. Looking forward to a jam-packed hour coming up. Our Minnesota Wild beat writer extraordinaire Mike Russo is going to drop by, chat about his column that dropped in The Athletic today, uh, all about what should Bill Guerin do with the deadline as the Wild are certainly one of the most interesting teams to watch in the next few weeks. We'll talk about uh, the in-season coaching changes we saw last week again in Edmonton and Montreal. And how many of these interim guys do we think are actually going to stick around, whether it's uh, Woodcroft in Edmonton, St. Louis in Montreal, Dave Lowry in Winnipeg, Derek King. There's a whole bunch of them. We'll get to that. Uh, happy birthday, Yarmir Yager. He's going to turn 50 this week. We'll talk a little bit about him. We'll touch on some Olympic hockey, multiple choice madness, all of that's going to be jam-packed into the next hour or so. But like I said, Julian McKenzie is with us again. He is, uh, quite frankly, the king of podcasts, this guy. Like, okay, <laughs> you got to tell me, man, how many podcasts have you appeared on either as a guest or a host in the last 72 hours? Okay. Um, so the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast with Justin Cuthbert is one. Uh, about a couple hours before I started recording today, I did the Chris Johnston show with uh, Chris Johnston. Yeah. Uh, this show, uh, of course, the Athletic Hockey Show. Um, I was on uh, Sportsnet Fan 590 on Saturday. Um, did I do something earlier that Saturday, too, I want to say? I forget See? now. Busiest oh, man. man in 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 I, the broadcasting just got a lot going world on. is you, man. You every time I look at your feed, it's like I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm like, I don't know where you have the time. <laughs> I don't know where you have the time. It's convenient that I'm able to do a lot of the stuff from the uh, office that I'm sitting in right now in my house, as opposed to like running from place to place <laughs> to do it. That would be a much different story. Yeah, but hey, listen, man, we appreciate you. Like I said, you got a busy schedule, and uh, you've carved out. An hour for us. We're looking forward to Mike Russo dropping by a little bit later. But I want to ask you to kick this off. Look, it's it's the day after the Super Bowl. And you know how it works with the, with the Super Bowl. The Rams win the, the, the championship. And the first thing the commissioner does is hand over the Vince Lombardi trophy to the ownership group with, with the LA Rams. And that's one of those things where I feel like 
as a hockey fan, that's where hockey gets it right. Hockey doesn't get it right in a lot of things, right? The NHL doesn't get it right. There's not many times where I think we look at the NHL, we're like, that's how the other league should do it, right? So here's my question. I opened this up on Twitter and I want to ask you, outside of the championship trophy presentation, what else does the NHL get right? What else do we look at the NHL and say, you know, other leagues can learn from the NHL? Is there anything else? Like, the only other thing I could really think of is the championship trophy itself. Like, not only in the Super Bowl or just in football in general do you play through a grueling season, uh, contact on contact, head contact. After all that, you get this trophy you could just hold in one hand. In the Stanley Cup, you go through four rounds and you get to lift Lord Stanley's mug over your head and you get to skate that baby around the ice. Like the championship trophy itself is perfect. Like that is a trophy. It is arguably the greatest trophy in professional sports in terms of just its majesticness, physicality, and all that. We can debate about prestige in terms of other tournaments and other leagues, but in terms of the trophy itself, there's no other league that has a title that can compare than to the NHL zone. So I think that's the only other thing they really get right. In terms of the trophy that you win at the end, you get a real trophy as opposed to, I don't know, like the the Super the Super Bowl, I think for all its pageantry, should have a much different trophy at the end of it to win. Yeah, it's just a it's just a football. Imagine the, the Stanley Cup was just a puck. You'd be like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a puck. But you know, it's it's fun. Like the other thing I like about the Stanley Cup, you tell me about this, but the fact that every player gets their name etched in it. And and I know that it it, it revolves, like they have to change the rings out. So it's not there forever per se, but you get a good, whatever, 60 year run. Like I, I know the funny thing is people, the, the, the countdown is on. The 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs, who are the last Toronto team to Uh-oh. win the cup. They've got, tw- I believe till the year 2030. And then their name comes off of the cup, but you're still getting, you know, 60 plus years. I think that's one of the cool, the, one of the cool things in in hockey. A couple, let me throw a couple of other things. You tell me okay. if if you think these are things that you know what the NHL gets right and other sports can maybe learn from it. The post playoff series handshake line, like would you would you think that in the let, let, okay so and I know in the Super Bowl like you do see that brief moment where you know Matt Stafford will connect with Joe Burrow and it's very brief and it but there's like confetti coming down and like. You know, Michelle Tafoya is trying to grab you for an interview and everything. What do you think if if in the NFL or Major League Baseball, the NBA, there was a post-series handshake? I think the NHL gets that right. I think there's a point to be made there. Uh, I do like seeing – one of my favorite things about the handshake line is seeing, like, two guys who have gone at each other an entire series just, like, kind of come together – whether, you know, lovingly just like respecting each other or there's like full of disdain like Milan Lucic and Dale Weiss in the oh, handshake yeah. line a couple years ago. Or like there's that other one with like Claude Lemieux and like Dino Cicerelli a couple years ago. And I think was it that uh, was it Cicer- was it Cicerelli or Lemieux who said it, like it pissed him right off to shake that other guy's hand. It like, was I like- uh, it was it was Dino C- <laughs> it was Dino Cicerelli in the hallway. I, he's like, I, I can't believe I had to shake that guy's hand. <laughs> It yeah. pissed me right off. Yeah. yeah, like like I like stuff like that. So I'll I'll give them that. And I also think that 
it it's kind of carried over into I don't know if you like play like rec sports and stuff like in rec leagues or whatever. I find like whenever I'm playing like in in a soccer league with friends, it doesn't matter however the game goes. At the end of it, we all kind of go in like the handshake line of ourselves. I understand like it's it's, it's yeah. also just something that's been brought up from like youth soccer, but I always like to kind of. I always think of this of the Stanley Cup playoffs in my mind whenever that happens. So I will give them points for that. That is something they got right. Okay. One another thing, kind of you know, kind of unique to hockey. I don't know how you would do this in other sports. Where do you come down on the the rookie lap? So when somebody's going to play their first game in the NHL, it's become pretty much a standard practice. Every team does it. You send the guy out. He takes two or three you know twirls around. I don't think. Imagine in baseball, you're like. All right, the right fielder is playing his first game. All right, the other eight guys are going to hang back and just the right fielder runs out. That wouldn't happen. Like, But I do think that's a cool thing to kind of commemorate somebody's first game that I don't think you see in other sports, right, per se? That's true. I, I would like to see, like, like, I guess the idea is just to kind of make the rookie look like an idiot a bit. If I was a rookie, I would just, like, if I if it was me – and if I was like playing at home and like my family was like in attendance, I would like own it. Like I would do the lap and I would like try to like point at my family and be like, I made it. I'm here. And like try to get them going and like try to get fans going. And maybe that's exactly the opposite of what my team would want to do. But like if you're going to make me look like an idiot, I'm going to get my kicks out of it, too. That's what I wish would happen. But of course, like that's not going to happen with the rookie lap. So other than that, it doesn't really do much for me. But like I, 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 I it's there for a reason, I guess. Yeah, you know what? And I I thought about this during when we were at the height of COVID and you saw a bunch of teams were decimated with injuries. I thought, what would happen if one team had like seven guys making their (laughs) NHL debut at the same time? Would they all go out at the same time for a rookie lap? I guess, but we never saw. I think two, like I think two is the most that I've ever seen. But I imagine there was like a, you know, here's because of COVID, we had to call a bunch of guys up and they never, but imagine seven guys came out at the same time. Like one guy for like the ECHL is like, he's never going to be here just to bug these six other dudes. And everyone's just yeah. like, yeah, all right. I feel like at that point, there's no point. Like that's like, almost, that's like a third of your team. Like, well, do I have that number? Like 18, move the seven. Uh, I should have done almost, six out of 18 because they're 30. Almost yeah. half. Yeah, almost yeah. half the team like skating on the ice. Like, at that point, like, come on. Like, you might as well just let everyone else do it. I don't think it would get to that point where it's excessive. And the the one other thing that people say that the NHL kind of gets right versus other sports, and pr- probably more so than the NFL, would be the, the way that they do playoff overtime. Right? Like, yeah. Playoff yeah. overtime, I think there's something to be said for. There is nothing better than, especially if your team's not involved, if you're just sitting back and watching two other teams play a playoff overtime, it's the best thing, right? Because there's no, there's no guilt. There's no stress. You're just entertained by it. Whereas the NFL, I think the, the overtime rules are a little bit clunky. They're a little bit awkward. Uh, I think nothing beats the NHL's playoff overtime format. So I think that's, again, the NHL doesn't get a lot of things right vis-a-vis their counterparts in the big four, but I do think they get the overtime thing right. An underrated feeling is like watching a playoff game in the middle of the day on like a Saturday or something. And it's like Dallas versus St. Louis or something. And it's like about to go to overtime and you're thinking, oh, shoot. Okay, we're going to watch these two teams go at it. And all of a sudden, you see this amazing goal score. And you're like, oh, I'm really glad I tuned in for this random 
quarterfinal series between yeah. Dallas and St. Louis playoff hockey in overtime. Like that, that's fun because you're seeing both teams go at it end to end. And it could it goes from, you know, the speed and skill to like basically a battle of wills and attrition at a certain point, depending on how long it can get. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the playoff rules in the NFL where you could be the offense who wins a coin toss and then you score a touchdown and then you win it. But in hockey, it's a lot different, obviously. And uh, yeah, the way they have overtime set up, they they have that right. I'm glad we're pulling together this list. It's not as if the NHL gets everything wrong. They get a lot right. of things wrong, but they do have things that are really good. Yeah, I, I think we sometimes forget, right? Like sometimes it's so easy to dunk on the NHL. We forget that eh, actually there's a handful of things that are good, you know, that they that they do right. And so I think I think those are so. Hey, listen, we'd love to hear from our listeners too. Drop a comment into the uh, the old comment section there. Let us know what what does the NHL get right that other leagues don't. And of course, there's going to be a bunch of cynical answers, and we're here for that too. Uh, we love we love the cynicism that comes with being a hockey fan. But I uh, would love to hear from you uh, on that. Hey, speaking of of kind of things that the NHL does right or hockey does right. Um, I know there was a great debate last week uh, that, that went around about women's hockey and its place in the Olympics, but I, I think they do it right. And I love seeing, I, I told you last week, I, Canada, U.S. women's hockey, one of the best rivalries of the 21st century in sports. We're going to see it again on Wednesday night, 11 o'clock Eastern time, 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, and again, a reminder that living on the West Coast is the best for watching sports. And the yes. Wednesday's gold medal game is another great example, right? Like, we're going to have to be up till about 1.30, maybe 2 o'clock to watch oh this. Oh, my thing. God. I, I don't know what how, what time you wake up in the morning. I know you got a family, and, and obviously you're going to morning skates. My schedule for editing on the athletic desk begins at 7 30 in the morning yeah like i've tried to watch games that start at 11 and i've literally like passed out in my bed like watching on my phone at like midnight and that's even late for me like in, in terms of trying to get like a full eight hour sleep like it's just it's not that i don't want to watch it's just the, the schedules are just weird I, like the only other like the only men's game i've seen to this point it's like a game that started at like 8 10 so i was like editing first thing in the morning and then i just had it on my phone there like is it's just the schedule it's nothing to do with the players or anything like that just the scheduling just for me it's just really really weird but yeah i'm gonna try to find a way to at least watch some of of canada usa we all know how great of a rivalry it is i understand the debate that's there i want to add this the way that the debate was framed uh, unfortunately started by rosie demano and i understand this is something she's just trumpeted for decades about how women's hockey does not belong at the olympics I think was framed very poorly. I think a better way of having a discussion about this is saying that other countries beyond Canada and the United States need to do everything they can to add more resources, more money, more funding to their programs so they can eventually be a little bit more – be more and more competitive. And we're already seeing strides. We're already – like if you look through the Olympic hockey tiers uh, for women's hockey, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. But I think it was really cool to see the work being done and, and noticing that there are all these spe spectacular players in countries like Finland and, and Switzerland uh, who, who are making a significant difference for their countries and, and, and when they're playing out in professional leagues or just in the league that they play. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So there are good, talented players beyond Canada and the United States. They just need more help. I think if if the discussion had been framed that way, I think we would have had more enlightening discussions about it. And we would have 
probably learn more about what those countries are doing to ensure that their programs are ascending upward and can maybe one day compete with the United States or Canada in a game. Uh, but instead, we chose to make it about how, you know, team about, hey, it's only Team Canada and the USA worth watching at the Olympics in women's hockey. So that's why we should only have just those two just play a seven game series and just leave everyone out of it. Like that's not that's not progress. That's not a good way of framing that debate. So I'm 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 bummed that we didn't take the opportunity to make the discussion a lot more enlightening and we just chose to just kind of dunk on this broad, stupid point. That being said, like the, the content we have on the athletic about that is really good. Haley wrote a really great column on that. I'm not taking a shot at her at all. It's just I think that the what we could have done on hockey in, in hockey Twitter spaces, the next step of that conversation is just saying, okay, well, what can be done with those other teams to ensure that they get better? That's the conversation worth having and not the fact that women's hockey, whether it belongs or not in the Olympics, because we all know it does. Yeah. And, and I think like the United States beat Finland uh, four to one in the semis on Monday. It wasn't like, I don't know Canada rolled through Switzerland 10 to three, but it wasn't like the United States just throttled Finland. You know, four one is a, is a fairly, you know, uh, competitive score. It's not a, it's not that lopsided. And, and I think what's really important is you got to remember. So take the Finland team from this year, 2022. Now, if that Finnish team went back in time and played against, say, a Canada-U.S. team from the 02 Olympics or the 06 Olympics, I bet you you'd see a much more competitive game, right? So those countries are coming along. It's just not quite, as you said, they're not closing the gap as fast as we would like so that there's a three, four, five horse race here. But the gap is being closed. And and I think that the, the Finnish women's team in 2022, if we time warp them back, they're probably going to be very competitive against late 90s, early 2000s teams that, that Canada, the United States iced. And I'm excited for this on Wednesday. I, I think, and I've seen the, I don't know about you, like I have not watched very much of this year's Olympics. And I don't know if it's a time difference thing. I don't know if it's NHLers aren't there. I don't know if I'm just sick of the Olympics as an institution. I don't know what it is. But I, I have really not paid attention, but I will pay attention Wednesday night at 11 p.m. And I suspect, that that will end up being maybe the highest rated, maybe the highest rated event of the Olympics, at least in Canada. If I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that that's going to beat. Even, let's say the men play for gold. Do you do you think people are going to be rushing to tune in like they will for this? I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I I, I think this will be the number one thing. I'll say this: like I don't know if the time helps the women's side, and that also compares to what the men might have to deal with if they get there. But to your point, like this is a rare instance where there are more household names on the women's side than on the men's side. Like team, like the men's side, they have Eric Stahl. I mean, I know we all know Owen Powers really good, but is he a, a household name yet? He hasn't played an NHL game yet. Kent Johnson, who, who's, who, who's doing okay for team Canada. He's not a household name. Like there are a lot of no names on this, on the men's side, on the women's yeah. side. We know about MPP. We we know about Melody Dahu. We, we know about the goaltending. We know about Sarah Fillier, who has announced herself to the hockey world through the Olympics. I just wish that we didn't have to wait up until like 11 o'clock at night to watch this game. Or they move the game to like a Friday night. So if you are going to wait up until like 11 or midnight Eastern time to watch the game, 
you're not doing anything on the Saturday, so who cares? But so it goes. We're, we're going to have to stay up at 11 p.m. Eastern time to do it. And maybe uh, there's a lot of boo-hoo. Pl- who cares? You get to watch hockey and all that. Don't complain. But, like, I, I think that matters for people who, oh, I don't know, work at 7.30 in the morning the next day. Like, I don't know. You know what I don't want to see now that you bring this up? Yeah. I don't want to see one of those gene- – you know, so, like, I don't want to see USA Hockey or Hockey Canada put out a tweet on Wednesday night with one of those form letters that says, Dear blank, please excuse, <laughs> please excuse blank from missing work on Thursday morning. No, they that's were up not. Watch- those are lame, okay? Those are done with. Like, I don't want to see excuse notes written for missing work signed by Hockey Canada and USA Hockey. Okay? Ian- I don't want to see it. But Ian, we most of us work from home. There's no way you could get out of that now with those letters. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, I, here's another thing I don't want to see. Here's another thing I don't want to see. Uh, and this goes for the men and the women's side for, for Team USA. I do not want to come across any more articles about how a win over Canada at the Olympics draws any comparison to the miracle on ice in 1980. Did you see what CNN yeah, put out over I, the weekend? I, are listen, you kidding me? That, that I have, like... <laughs> I didn't even want to quote tweet that because I'm like, oh. are you, like, what was this? Like, who, like, who wrote this? All the Americans are like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know. I, I quote tweeted that to, to Sean Gentilly. He didn't respond. So maybe he low key likes that. Maybe he could talk about it on the Tuesday edition of the athletic hockey yeah. show with Craig Custance. But like, come on, bro. It's good. Good on the United States. They look like a better team against Canada on the men's side. They have a very good chance at winning the gold medal and they could feel happy for themselves. Great for them. Great progress for them that they're able to get to a point where they can go to a medal game and not choke before. But like to get to a point where you're comparing it to the 1980, like, come on, bro. The 1980 Olympics. You know what, though? We got to do we got to lay down. We're going to lay down the challenge right here. Okay. Yes. The Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show would like to challenge the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show in a, we'll take Canada, you take the United States, and we just need the listeners to come up with the bet. Yep, I'm down. We need the listeners to come up with the bet, and it could be, you know, Gentilly's going to come up with something fantastic. But we're willing, uh, you and I, and we're just going to throw Haley into this too, we are willing, (laughs) we are willing uh, for any bet, lay it on us. You know, lay it on us, and w- we feel that confident. By the way, uh, for people listening who think that, uh, oh, it's not fair that Ian, Haley, and Julian are on one side versus Gentilly and Custance, that's yeah. three versus two. Gentilly's head is big enough for two people, so we could, that's even. <laughs> I love Gentilly. That, that's not a real diss. I'm just, I'm just, you know, tripping. Exactly. All right, so we'd love to hear from our listeners, and I'm sure the Tuesday – uh, listeners will, will will jump in on this too, and we'll 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 we'll, we'll message Custance and Gentilly. But we got to put something on the line: Canada USA women's gold medal game Wednesday night. Hit us up. Tell us what the bet should be. We'll take the best one and we'll we'll run with it because uh, that should be a lot of fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Yarimir Yager's turning 50, Julian, this week. What? In fact, Tuesday. Tuesday, he turns the big 5-0. Guy is still playing over in, uh, in, in the Czech Repu- Republic. Tomorrow, or Tuesday, he turns 50, the big 5-0. And I'm thinking, if you could live anybody's life in hockey and kind of experience what they've done, are you picking Yarimir Yager just because the guy has just had an endless career, seems like he's had a ton of fun, He's won virtually everything that you'd want to win, right? Olympic gold medal, Stanley Cups, all this stuff, Art Ross, all that. You pick him, like, would you pick Yager and say, like, you know what? If I could live someone's best life, I'd be, I'd be Yermir Yager. I don't know because the first thing I have to ask is, because here's my, here's my idea. If I'm going to be successful as a hockey player, I'm going to make all the millions of dollars I can make. So I could get to a point when I retire at the age 38 or 41 or whatever. Like, I'm not trying to still play. Not, no disrespect to Yarby Yager. Congratulations to him. He's still able to play at 50. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to just kick it with my family and be with them. And maybe get into coaching. Maybe get in working in front office. Who knows? But I don't know if Yarby Yager is the guy. Wayne Gretzky, though. That's a guy I very much consider playing a guy who uh essentially became the nhl's biggest household name i mean to this day if you ask people who you know name the first name that comes to mind with the nhl like i guess casual people who don't really know wayne gretzky is the name that still comes up you get a cushy job cushy job at tnt right now you have all the stanley cups people (laughs) think you're the best player to ever play the game uh, you play in Edmonton, you play in Los Angeles, you play briefly in St. Louis, you play in, in New York with the Rangers. Like, I think that's a pretty good life. I, I, I He would be near the top. I'd consider Alexander Ovechkin too. Um, I don't know if I'm cut out for the life of Connor McDavid where you don't show that much personality oh, considering no, what oh, my life is. Hang, hang on though. Connor McDavid has a heated driveway that will melt the ice on his driveway. Does that tip the scales in your favor? I mean, that's a really good point. Think about but also, it. like, if I'm a hockey player, I'm not shoveling my driveway anyway. I have enough money to pay someone to do it regardless. Like, how much does it really sway me to have a heated driveway? Depending on who I am, I could I could be Kuro Kaprizov and make, like, what, like 10 mil a year and get a heated driveway in Minnesota of all places. I could get a heated driveway. I don't have to be Connor McDavid to get a heated driveway. But that being said, I would strongly How consider How much you think a heated driveway? I don't even know what a heated driveway would cost. But, man, I, I was envious. When I heard McDavid of all the features of his home, which kind of it kind of looked like, you know, the – this was a couple months ago when that, that magazine article came out about his place. Like, it looked like the evil lair of, like, a villain – like it was just, you know, it was, it, but it looked amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, he's got a heated, the driveway's heated in Edmonton. Of all the things, that's unbelievable. Drake has but a heated right. driveway. But you know what? I, I can think of one NHL player who absolutely was in charge of clearing the snow. And that was Joe Sackick. Do you remember this Joe Sackick? He, he put his hand in the snowblower and he got hurt and he missed oh. a bunch of time. So there are NHL players who clear their own snow. Joe Sackick did it in Denver. Oh my God. I didn't, I didn't, you know what? I had heard a similar story, but I didn't realize it was him who did yeah, it. Yeah, Joe oh Sackick. God. Was try- so now we need to do a deep dive. How many NHL players 
get a snow clearing service. How many of them use a snowblower? None of them are shoveling. I don't no. think. This I don't stage think of the so. game. You got a no bad way. back. Imagine that. Yeah, could you imagine? Like, I mean, that's a more likely story why Dustin Penner would have matched up his back as opposed to like sitting down and eating pancakes, Pancake. I guess. Yeah. The Dustin yeah, Penner. I, like, yeah, like I would like if he had told everyone that he hurt his back shoveling, I we'd all believe that more than than th- that's 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 much more plausible and much more like palatable than like pancakes. You heard your back eating pancakes? That's that's wild. Our our uh, our producer extraordinaire Chris Flannery has jumped into the chat to tell us that heated driveways cost anywhere between four thousand dollars and fifteen thousand dollars. Now I'm thinking McDavid sprung for the fifteen thousand dollar one, but <laughs> I, I'm starting to think. So how much do people pay a year for snow clearing? I, I don't even oh. I don't do I I still I still shovel like an idiot. Uh, I should probably, but I'm thinking if, if it costs only $4,000 and you live in like Minnesota or Michigan or Ontario or someplace where it's worth it, probably to $4,000 would get me to think yeah, a little bit because if I, you know, it, it's a, it's a, the price point because if I'm paying to shovel or have somebody clear my driveway or, you know, I'm buying a snowblower, whatever it is, 4,000 is right at the point where I'm like, you're telling me I can have a heated Driveway that, and as Chris uh, Chris has told us, it melts two inches of snow per hour. So that, nah, that's like like if I am at a position in my life in, in like like middle or upper upper middle class, oh. I'm thinking about that for sure. Yes, I know I got I, four grand laying around. I'm telling you that that's our new measure. Are you heated driveway rich? That's that's our new thing. Let's How do well it. are you doing? Let's do it. I'm that's what I'm gonna ask rich, rich. That's what I'm gonna ask rich people. That's what I'm gonna ask rich people from now on. Do you yeah. have enough money to? But heat they gotta your live driveway? below, like where, like Ohio, Virginia, like yeah. You, you gotta live north of that. You can't. We can't ask somebody right from Nevada, Arizona, right? It's it's like a yeah. Colorado, fine. <laughs> Montana, fine. Alberta, yeah, yeah, we get it. But like certain play. Anyway, that's going to be our new metric. Yes, of course. Uh, I I aspire now to be heated driveway rich. Heated driveway rich. <laughs> okay, I I got to ask you about some big changes. You uh, you keep uh, quite a close eye on the Montreal Canadiens. It's been a what a season uh, for them. They make the change to Marty Saint Louis. He goes winless to start. <laughs> But how's that being? How's that being received in the marketplace right now? It's it's he's less than a week into the gig. What's it? What's it been like in Montreal? And how are Habs fans feeling about Marty Saint Louis behind the bench? The the Canadians are losing with dignity. <laughs> Through three I games, we've seen we've seen them uh, fight. We've seen them get close uh, against the Buffalo Sabers on Sunday. They actually battled back and made it 3-3 before Jeff Skinner ultimately demoralized them, basically on his own. Four-goal uh, game. Yeah. game for Jeff Skinner. Uh, Patrick Laine scored a game-winning goal with seconds left on Saturday for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So at least the last two games, uh, the Canadians have at least given themselves a fighting chance. Uh, but to seeing Cole Caulfield be a little bit more engaged, he got goals uh, in the first two games under his new bench boss. Uh, seeing other veteran players look a little bit more engaged too, like Brennan Gallagher looks a little bit healthy. 
uh, more than what we've seen from him earlier this year. That's also helped. Uh, I think young guys like Alexander Romanov as well have also benefited from playing under Martin St. Louis. He seems like a guy who kind of just wants his guys to be a little bit more free and and not necessarily rely on a, being in a box or system. Yeah, I think the way the it's looking now with Martin St. Louis, this team is going through uh, – this team's not going to make the playoffs – they're, they're going to go through some changes. Like, literally, as we're speaking right now, it looks as if the Canadians are going to send Tyler Toffoli to the Calgary Flames for a first-round pick and, like, two other prospects. That's how I think Elliot Freeman or Elliot Freeman or someone else was tweeting. Uh, it's looking like a done deal. But, yeah, like, yeah. they're at a point right now where uh, guys are going to be shipped out. The team's not going to make the playoffs. It's all about ensuring the guys who have left on the team are going to fight and that they're going to provide some fire. And Martin St. Louis is the guy who's going to be there to kind of light a fire under, under everyone's belly to kind of at least get them going. I, I think for the sake of the players, like, it would be good if they're able to get, like, a couple wins or two just to, you know, keep their spirits up. But I don't think they're going to go on some crazy run a la St. Louis Blues in 2019 that, put, that puts them in the playoffs. Like, the Canadians are very much going to miss – they, but they can say they learned a lot from Martin St. Louis in the 30 games if it works out. But they got Andrew Hammond. The Hamburglar run. It's sitting the right Hamburglar's there. in. I love the Hamburglar joke that uh, Steve Dangle made on the weekend. I thought that was uh, <laughs> that was great. So you're right. Uh, this is the, the beauty of doing the podcast uh, quasi-live, so to speak. Uh, you're right. Elliot Friedman, uh, among the first to report it, uh, the Calgary Flames have acquired Tyler Toffoli from Montreal in exchange for a first-round pick a fifth round pick and a couple of uh, kind of, uh, you know, prospects there. And um, the first round pick is top 10 protected. So if Calgary somehow misses the playoffs and, uh, you know, moves up in the lottery and, and so it's protected, but it's interesting. couple thoughts here to fully reunited with Daryl Sutter. They obviously had a lot of uh, uh, success in, in Los Angeles to Foley is a guy that I'm intrigued by because you know, wherever he's gone, he's fit in even that little um, stint in Vancouver. He was good. He was good in, in Montreal. I think he'll be good in Calgary. And whereas the Habs, they made the, the change behind the bench, you knew that some other stuff was coming. Some of these other teams like Edmonton, they've already made their big move. Right? They, they got Evander Kane. I don't know what else they can do. There's a lot of work to be done for the Montreal Canadiens here. And Tyler Toffoli going to, to Calgary. I, I, I like Calgary doing this because you're getting out ahead of uh, the trade deadline. You did. You did give up a first round pick for him, but he's under some some team control for a bit, and he's a productive player. He absolutely is. Uh, one thing that's great about Tyler Toffoli when he was with the Montreal Canadiens, like he was a guy who was able to contribute some scoring. He did a lot so last year. Uh, I know he was kind of hurt a little bit this year, but since he came back from injury this year, uh, I think he had looked like one of the team's better players. And I think there were some fans who were kind of hoping that he'd stick around. Uh, through whatever transitions were going to come through for this team over the next few years, mostly because of the fact that he can score. This guy is on a contract worth 4.25 mil uh, up until 2024. So the Calgary Flames have a guy who can contribute some secondary scoring because they have guys on the team who can score. Brad Treliving, funny enough, uh, last week was talking to Pierre Lebrun uh, and was straight up said like, hey, we're, we're in the market for secondary scoring. That pretty much settles it right there. Uh, well, at least that's a big piece that they could consider a secondary scoring for them right there. And he's on a pretty team friendly contract. So, yeah, a guy like Tyler Toffoli, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if he fit in just fine 
with the Calgary Flames, a team that more and more by the day looks more and more serious as a Stanley Cup contending team. They play the way that you're supposed to play in the playoffs if you want to go to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, They just have to ensure that they get enough goal scoring when they do. They just have to ensure Jacob Markstrom continues to hold up in net. And now they have another piece uh, in Tyler Toffoli who will be able to put the puck in the net. And that's on top of having guys like Andrew Mangiapane, who I know cooled off, but Mangiapane is a guy who's who, who can score goals, right? Like Michael Backlund as well. Like there are other pieces on this team who can really contribute. So Tyler Toffoli just adds to that. All right, Julian, we uh, teased this off the top. Uh, pretty excited to have Mike Russo join us because uh, Minnesota Wild are, you know, they're they're sneaky good. And I think the, the hockey world's starting to realize that uh, this is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I love the, uh, the quote from Kevin Fiala on the weekend about, hey, if they're contenders, we're contenders. There's so much to get to. Uh, let's bring them in, Mike Russo, uh, on the Athletic Hockey Show on this Monday. How are we doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Hey, fantastic. Fantastic. I love you guys. I'm just winner- excited that I'm going to be coming to both your neck of the woods in the next week or so. So yeah. it's pretty fun. Yeah. Welcome back to uh, to Canada. We're uh, we're excited to, excited to have you. And, uh, you know, when the Wild come to Ottawa, we actually get some fans back in the building. So this is going to be it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I can't wait. Oh, the Wild go to Winnipeg on Wednesday, and it's going to be 100 percent capacity, and uh, <laughs> a little different than the, than what they were playing in last week when they were there, and there was like nobody in the building. Basically, I think it was, I think they said it was 50 percent, but it didn't look that much. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at the schedule now. Uh, unless I have it wrong here, you, I might not be able to see you until the 19th in April. Damn. Really? Why? Because I'm in Montreal. I'm not oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's true. And I, honestly, that might be a one-off game where I don't even go to. Oh, man, that sucks. We'll figure it out. Uh, maybe maybe I will go. I don't know. Uh, there was I have a conflict uh, personally for that game, so I might have to cover it virtually, but we'll see. Also, common misconception uh, to be thought of as a Toronto person. That has happened to me many a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all of us. We all get uh, the all figure we live in. Uh, <laughs> In Toronto, but hey, uh, Mike. Before we talk about the Wild, and I, look, I, I, I really want to hit on your column that uh, dropped on Monday because I think Minnesota and Bill Guerin have some really important decisions to make in the next month. But look, listen, you unfortunately got into the news cycle last week, and it's not a thing that reporters necessarily crave. Like you don't, you didn't want to be part. I know you didn't want to be part of it. You didn't want to have your name dropped on a national telecast, and all of a sudden there was quite a, a frenzy around it. Can you, can you maybe just walk us through? Um, I know you addressed this on Twitter, but just maybe walk us through what what last week was like for you. Yeah, it was it was not, you know as you mentioned, Ian, it was uh, it was uh, super uncomfortable. Still not exactly over it, you know. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, um, I I, I um, you know I thought I was beyond it, but I'm definitely not. I I I had trouble sleeping here the last two or three nights. Woke up a couple times, almost like anxiety attacks i was able to get sleep last night but uh honestly like dreamed about it all night and all that type of stuff and so yeah um luckily i didn't uh and what you're referring to obviously is is anson carter dropping my name on on um national tv um basically um you know a real what i thought minor um difference of opinion on twitter where he uh called him to question the wild's depth on a national telecast. And what happened is that wild fans sort of lost, um, you know, uh, disagreed obviously and started coincidentally, it was game 41 that the wild were on the Chicago, uh, playing the Chicago Blackhawks on on TNT. 
And I wrote a mid-season report that Jake Leonard, my editor, actually pretty much edited during the day. And in that, um, I had a, just one line that said, the wild comma, you know, one of the deepest teams in the NHL. And he called into the question, the wild's depth and wild fans screen captured that snippet of the column and kept on, you know, peppering him with the picture of, of the fact that one of the reporters happened to call him that that day. So he came out with a tweet where he basically, you know, you know, brought up Minnesota wild fans and reporters with a laughing emoji and brought up the winter classic where the wild raps are rolled. And I just corrected him. And I said, look, you know, I have a lot of respect for you, but the wild are nine Oh and one since then a lot of, uh, with a lot of the guys that you've pretty much mentioned. I mean, the wild are nine, three and one in their last 12. And in that time have missed Dumba two or three, uh, three times Spurgeon, seven times Brodeen seven times. So I was just basically saying that, look, the one night that they were on your telecast, they were absolutely rocked. It was their first game in 12 days, but since then they're nine Oh and one sometimes without nine or eight players in their lineup. That's the team that's deep. And so I, what I did say was, you know, maybe you should listen to the the fans and the reporters that watch them regularly rather than laugh at them. And he obviously was stewing over that. He replied to the tweet. I never mentioned it again. And then obviously Anson went on the air and insinuated that uh, that it was a racial thing that I brought up that, uh, you know, I mean, he, he said it sounds awfully white that I'm the authority and don't say this in this month, meaning Black History Month. And uh, we know what is happening here and stay on code. And um, that is absolutely not me. It was a mortifying situation to be in. It scares me if he had said that about another reporter that's not as well known as me, because luckily I've covered this league for 27 years and I've earned reputation. And um, it's not often that you could be dubbed a racist on national TV and actually win the, the public support. And uh, thankfully, um, people from the hockey world came to my defense. Um, all wild fans came to my defense. And I got a lot of heartfelt apologies um, from everybody on that panel. And uh, Ants and I had a, did have a good talk. Um, you know, I still thought that he was going to publicly apologize. That obviously never happened. Um, I sent off an email to TNT asking where that apology was and why they never reached out to me. And the email I got back from them was absolutely shameful. Um, I don't want to get into it, but I've lost a ton of respect for that network. Um, and the PR person that clearly copied and pasted a lawyerized uh, letter to me. And um, that that letter that I got two days ago, um, that email that I got from them two days ago, I'll, I'll absolutely never forget, um, you know, as as long as I live, uh, you know, just the lack of support that uh, that TNT showed here and and in my eyes condoning what Anson said. So um, I, I do mean from the bottom of my heart that, you know, in my eyes, Anson and I are fine. Um, and I appreciate that he reached out to me and we had a good conversation. Um, but, um, you know, I still feel like a lot of stuff publicly wasn't done from them. And, and just thankfully, this is, I think, behind me because, you know, you wake up that morning, Ian and Julian, and you know that we, you know, we're just signed to the New York Times or bought by the New York Times. They have no idea who I am. And so it was a scary morning that day. I have a lot of extra stuff that I do. And I just didn't know where this was going to go. You know, you're on national TV, essentially called a racist. Um, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to lose my job, if I was going to lose freelance stuff that I do, if I was not going to be on, you know, radio anymore, TV, podcast, whatever. I didn't know where it was going to go. And, and um, you know, I'm just amazed that that stuff could be said publicly on national TV and, and nothing. There's no repercussions from it. And, um, you know, that that that's a little frightening to me. Wow. Um, I guess the only thing I can really say on on this, and, and we really appreciate you speaking about it, uh, and we will get to. Uh, more important stuff with the Minnesota Wild. Um, 
I, I'm just wondering if you maybe have thought about the one thing about your tweet that I think I think stewed with Anson the most. I guess is the fact that you might have insinuated that he doesn't watch games, and I, right. I think that's what's. I think that's what sat with him the most. Maybe, maybe in hindsight, do you regret at least saying that part and what you initially said? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll just say I do, and I apologize to him profusely for that um, a thousand times on that phone call. Um, you know, um, to me, the context was, you know, your typical beat writer, national broadcaster point where they just watch things from a surface point of view. And, um, and, you know, in my eyes, when you're doing a game on TNT, you're just paying attention to the game that night that is on your telecast. And so that was the context of what I said. I do regret saying that um, because I obviously don't think that Anson doesn't watch other hockey games and, you know, doesn't do his homework and, and talk to people. Um, so that, that is absolutely what I said. Um, but to me, what I put um, was completely uh, benign. And I think what it did do is sort of create other you know, fans replying to him and, and insinuating that he was lazy or, or unqualified and things like that. And that obviously is not something that uh, I meant at all. Um, you know, I've gotten a ton of, inc- I don't want to start naming names, um, you know, but I've gotten a ton of support um, from from players that I've covered and, and players throughout the league um, that, that, you know, uh, that, you know, know me and know my heart and know my character. Um, you know, it means everything in the world. That guy is, you know, one name I will mention because I'll never forget it as long as I live is Matt Dumbo. He pulled me aside and uh, a day after this happened when I probably really needed it from somebody like him. And he pulled me aside and really gave me an incredible pep talk. Um, and um, I'll never forget that as, as long as I live. And and uh, um, that was just one of, you know, 100 or 200 calls that I've gotten and texts I've gotten in terms of support from not just colleagues of ours, Julian and, and people, you know, at the athletic and sports writing and sports media, but, you know, people in the game and, and uh, league headquarters and things like that. And and um, and and that really, you know, in a lot of ways warmed my heart. But you're no no doubt, Julian, you know, I've learned a lesson here as well, um, you know, and, and I, you know, have apologized to Anson to that, you know, uh, a gazillion times. I'll just I just want to add this if I can. Um, well, I think that, you know. What happened, I think, was really unfortunate for you, and I, and you shouldn't have to go through that. If if you're, I, I believe that you are well intentioned in everything that happened. And I guess I don't want to put words in Anson's mouth. I, I I I saw the way that he reacted, and I wonder if it came from a place where maybe he's had those comments in no the doubt. past, suggesting that he's not good at what he's doing, and maybe it comes from people who. Uh, will bring race into something like this yeah. and and assume it's a lot darker than that. Uh, and unfortunately, you ended up being a target of it and, and you should not go to that point if it's if it's generally not the case because the other side I worry about is if Anson Carter ever does that again and calls on race, then other people will look at him and be like, well, no, like you shouldn't be doing this. Look at what happened, what you did with Michael Russo and no one's going to believe you. Like I, as, as, a, as a black person, Watching that scenario, like I, I know you're my colleague, and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't believe you to be a bad person, but I also looked at Anson and I was like, okay, like what? It was a very uncomfortable thing to kind of just kind of see from a distance, if that makes any yeah. sense. But I'm really relieved that like you, your intentions were great with with Anson, or at least at least there were they were no intention of being racist or anything like that. Uh, but I also wonder for Anson's case what he's gone through in the past with that, and. Uh, if it's just that one particular comment just struck a nerve, essentially. Yeah. 
And and I, I I definitely want to be respectful of the privacy of our conversation because uh, that was the one thing that Anson made very clear to me at the very beginning was that it was an off the record conversation. So I don't I I definitely don't want to say things that he said to me, but I will say that the one thing that he a hundred percent said and and what I've learned here is none of us know the shoes that other people have been through, and clearly um, Anson throughout not just his hockey career as a player as a broadcaster, but his life has, has, uh, dealt with these connotations. Um, and it definitely triggered him. And, um, I think he sat on it for six days and it just kept on bothering him. Um, you know, just like it's probably still, you know, what's happened uh, in the aftermath has bothered me now for four or five days. So I could see where that happened. Um, and that is, that's, you know, to me, the unfortunate whole thing. And I, as I've told Anson, uh, next time I see him, I'd love to sit down and have a have a beer with them or coffee or whatever, um, and have this out because I've long respected for respected him. Um, you know, both as a broadcaster and as a player, I was, I was telling him the, on the phone that I remember, uh, I was trying to look for it, but the Star Tribune, my previous employer has, has an archive system that's very difficult to look stuff up. But for the story of when I was essentially trying to campaign for Doug Risebaugh to acquire him. Um, so I, I've long respected him. And so unfortunately, you know, where this probably went off the rails is after our little tweet exchange where I thought it was over and done with because I didn't even reply to his second tweet. Um, I probably should have just called him up and, um, and uh, you know, had that conversation. So I, I totally respect what you're saying, Julian. Yeah. And, and listen, Mike, well, we promised you we, we weren't going to uh, to focus on this, but I, I just think the way that yeah. you handled this with, with um, maturity and class uh, should be applauded. And, uh, you know, I think the you said it all when you said, you know, Anson and I are good. And I think that that yeah. to me, that says everything. That's and, and, and that that's all that matters. You and Anson are good. I think that 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 speaks volumes. I think all of us can can take a lesson in a very divisive time in, in both of our countries. Um, we could all take a little bit of a lesson of take a breath, have a meaningful conversation. Yeah accept some apologies and move on. And I think yep. you've done a wonderful job of that. Yep. And we follow each other on Twitter now, which he might, he might actually regret when he starts to see the <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> like play-by-play that I give during a wild game. He may be like, I cannot yeah. believe that I followed this guy to find out that Erickson Eck hit the post. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> well, so I'll I tell know. you what, if, uh, if he was following you, he's probably saw your, uh, your tweet today all about, uh, what do the Minnesota Wild do at trade deadline time? And yeah. I know we're still just a, we're a month and a week, I think, right? Five weeks away from yeah, five uh, from weeks the, from today. Five weeks from today. So I I think the Wild are such a curious team because they are legitimately they've got Stanley Cup aspirations and rightfully so. And and I think the question becomes what should they do and what can they do? That was your column today. So why don't we why don't we do this in kind of a podcast form? Let's put ourselves into Bill Guerin's shoes. What do the Wild do here in the next five weeks? It's a good question. I, I just saw the Tyler Toffoli uh, price, and now yeah. I'm wondering if they do anything. I mean, uh, I didn't see what the prospect is, but according to Drager, it was a first to fifth the prospect in Tyler Pitlick. I'm sure Tyler Pitlick yeah. has money going back. Um, you know, but I actually like Tyler as a player. But that's a that's a hefty price for Toffoli. I know that um, you know, uh, that obviously Brad Tree Living was looking for secondary scoring and things like that. Um, if you're looking at the wild, a lot will depend on health and if they're still rolling in a month. Now, I have hard, I have it, you know, it would be hard for me to believe that they're not still rolling in a month if they're healthy because they have so many home games in March and they are so good at home. And, uh, you know, they're a nine game homestand and, and, uh, I think they play 12 games next month. So 
If they're healthy, I think they're going to be rolling. But that actually might make him you know, where a lot of wild fans would be like, well, now go make that center to put you, get you that center to put you over the top. Go get a Giroux or Pavelski or whatever. I'm almost wondering if that would not make Bill, if that would, and, and Pierre Lebrun, by the way, is going to have a Wednesday story this week where he talks to Bill Guerin. But I think that what Bill will probably convey in there is that they're rolling. He's not going to want to disrupt the chemistry of this team. For me, if I was Billy, I would at least look at trying to get a Hurdle or a Pavelski if they're attainable. Just to at least see if they, if they that's somebody that you could put between Boldy and, and Fiala, or um, you know maybe you put Hartman there and you move him between the new center between um, you know uh, um, obviously uh, Kaprizov or Zuccarello. Um, because if if not now, when when do you make that splash? Because in the next three years they have so much money tied up in dead money for Parisi and Suter that they're going to have to put a lot of entry level guys on the contract. You're not going to be able to make these type of splashes at the deadline. And this is a team that right now will, um, to Anson's point, uh, have to play the St. Louis Blues probably in the first round. And St. Louis rolled them on the Winter Classic, and that wasn't an aberration. St. Louis has had their number for the last two years. Um, and then if you get by St. Louis, you're going to have to probably go through Colorado, um, you know, to get to your, where you want to go to the conference final. So, uh, and we know that you know how deep they are up the middle between McKinnon and Cadre. And then you got Vegas as Jack Eichel. So this is a long, as good as the Wild are. This is a, still a quite a challenge to get to where they're going to want to go, and that's to win a Stanley Cup. So I just think it's something they should consider. But when I talk to when I talk to people inside the organization, I get the impression that he doesn't want to give up his first round pick and he doesn't want to give up a top top prospect. Even though, as Scott Wheeler wrote last week, the Wild's prospect pool is as good as it's ever been. So you know, to me, if I was that, I would say, all right, well now they're. We have a couple guys that we could move that we are expendable because we have this guy and this guy and this guy coming as well. But I'm not sure that Bill Guerin's going to look at it that way. So um, we'll see. Dallas still thinks they can make the playoffs. So who knows if they're going to trade Pavelski? It sure feels like Claude Giroux is going to wind up in Colorado, um, and he hasn't played center anyway uh, for the last couple of years. He w- takes draws, but but he hasn't played a lot of center. And then Hurdle, it sure sounds like that they're at least talking to him about re-signing there. So those are really the only three big names out there right now. They're not trading Malkin in Pittsburgh. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, yeah, no, I, I just don't see um, really any other big names. So I think those are the only three that even make sense. I'm curious. Uh, well, I'll add this uh, to the Tyler Toffoli trade. I believe the the prospect going the other way is a guy named Emil Heineman, who I don't necessarily think was highly touted as a prospect, but could still be a solid player coming up, a big energy guy going forward for them. And also that first round pick that the Flames are going to give up on top of the fourth or fifth they're giving up in 2024. That first uh, is top 10 protected. And we all know how good the Flames are. It's probably going to be later in the first. I don't know if that does anything for Billy Guerin. Uh, but I, I do want to ask this one, and maybe that kind of gives a window into what they might do. I'm, I'm curious with the fact that the Wild do have all those salaries to Parisi and Suter that are going to build up in, in terms of what they're allotted for salary years in and years out for the years to come. What does that do for the expectations for this team? Like, like it, 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 yes, they kind of have to be in a situation where they have to win now or else they're not really going to have that much room in the, in the coming years, right? Like, what does that do for the expectations for this team? Yeah, and, and that's another reason why I think this is sort of the year to, you know, try to win it all, um, you know, to go there. But I will say, because of the number of great prospects that this team has in the organization and the culture that they've built inside that locker room, especially with their leaders like like Spurgeon and Dumba and Felino, um, you know, and, and some of the really quality uh, up and coming players that they have. I mean, they just signed Jordan Greenway to a three year deal at 24 years old. 
They have Felino that has added a ton to this organization. They have Hartman on a bargain deal. Um, you know, if all of a sudden you start adding um, a lot of these entry-level guys from the minors, you know, Marco Rossi, Kalen Addison, I still think that this team over the next three years has built the ability to still be really, really good. They just might not be able to go out and make that big splash in free agency and things like that. And that's the decision that Bill Guerin and his staff made in the offseason when they made the surprising move to not only, you know, I think we all expected that something was going to give with Zach Parisi, but none of us expected that he would pull the Band-Aid with both Brian Suter and Zach Parisi. So I think, you know, Bill Guerin's expectations are gigantic, Julian. Um, there was a really hilarious video that they showed of their his first meeting inside that um, yeah, their tree rink in the in the lounge where he says to Jared Spurgeon, the captain, he goes, what are the expectations for this team? And Spurgeon goes to have fun and work hard or something. And and uh, and Bill, and Bill just goes, F that it's to win. And that has always been his um, his, you know, his expectation. And it's still his expectation. Even if he doesn't go out and swing for the fences by going out and getting a Giroux or a Pavelski or um, a Hurdle, I still he think I still think the reason why he wouldn't go out and give those prices is he truly believes that this team has something special brewing right now and can actually, if they're healthy, um, go make some noise in the playoffs. So we'll see if it has happens. But his, you know, his goal is to create long term success here, and I don't think he wants to do that by trading his first round pick and a bunch of prospects right now to go out and get a guy that he's. Um, has no ability to resign in the offseason. And you know what? I, I think a big reason why the Wild and Bill Guerin might be in a position to be a buyer and to, you know, legitimate Stanley Cup contender is Kirill Kaprizov. Just yep. one of the most fun, electrifying, dynamic players in the game. Let's hear your case for Kirill Kaprizov Hart Trophy this season. Well, I think I think one big case, and this would be my same reasoning that I think Dean Evison should get, you know, big time votes for the coach of the year is I don't think anybody um, thought that this team would have the ability to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. And the standings look a little um, weird just because of the lack of games that a lot of teams have played compared to others. But the Wild have consistently been the second best team in the Western Conference pretty much from the mid-November Thanksgiving on. Um, you know, thir- uh, they're tied for third with the best points percentage in the league since Thanksgiving. Um, they're the second best points percentage by a mile, um, you know, in the Western Conference, uh, only because Colorado just keeps on winning and winning and winning. Um, and I think that a lot of that is due to guys like Kaprizov. I mean, Kaprizov has absolutely been a game changer in this organization. This team has been starved for a true superstar for as long as I've covered it. Um, you know, Marion Gabrick was the closest thing to it. But I still don't look at Marion Gabrick as a true star uh, when he played for this organization. Kirill Kaprizov absolutely is. Um, he's also a very unique star. He's the type of guy. He is as gritty as you can get. You know, last game, not only did he score just a gigantic goal in that game, but he's getting into goal mouth scrums. He's open height, you know, not op- open ice hits. He's coming up bloody in, in battles. He's getting in roughing penalties. I mean, this guy, this guy takes care of himself. A couple of weeks ago in Boston. He gets run in the boards, hit from behind by Frederick. It looks like he broke his collarbone or, you know, AC joint or something. We hear really bad reports coming back to Minnesota that this guy was going to be out, you know, for several uh, for several games. And what happens? He misses one game and plays, and he's been absolutely on fire ever since. This, he's got points in 14 of his last 15 games. Um, he is, to me, you know... I always say I am one of those people that say remind people the Hart Trophy definition is most valuable to his team. And I know you can make that you could take different players on different teams and make that case. But 
there is no doubt that Kirill Kaprizov is the most valuable player of this team. Without him, they would not be where they are. I, I want to follow up on that. I want to know what do you make of of the national conversation and attention around a player like Kirill Kaprizov? Because in the limited time that we've seen from, out, of course, with the outsider perspectives that we have, like we see him in highlight clips that like Dmitry Filipovich might tweet out. And the way he skates, he just looks so dope, man. Like he yeah. genuinely looks like really cool. Like he's an awesome like player to just watch. And I bet the fans in Minnesota love him. But yeah. you, of course, being around the team and you, of course, paying attention to national coverage. What do you make of the people who talk about him and 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 rate him and all that? Like, do you think he gets enough praise? Do you think he deserves more? How do you feel about him? I think he does. I, you know, I think that's what makes. I mean, I think that I am starting to hear a national attention, like when I see him in the power rankings, and um, you know, and and as you mentioned, Julie, I mean, they are always talked about now. The Minnesota Wild as being a fun team to watch. When historically has that ever happened? I mean, I've covered this Can't team. Think of a team. Seven, yeah. I mean, I've, I've covered this team for 17 years. The team's been around for 21. And I, I would be the first to tell you that they're not a team that, that should be on national TV or just, you know, they weren't a marketable team. Now they are. And it's not just Kaprizov. I mean, you know, I just did this uh, game story a couple games ago where I went down and talked to Nate Prosser, who used to play for this team. He's a former defenseman. He's somebody that uh, went to a, this game as a fan to an NHL game as a fan for the first time since he was 14, 15 years old. And he was absolutely blown away by how everybody on the wild roster can skate. Um, they, this team has always been sort of a, this plotting team, but now though it's the one thing that Bill Guerin has done is he's made them younger and he's made them faster. And, you know, Kevin Fiala can fly. Zuccarello is having just a tremendous year. One of the big best years of his entire career. Um, you know, they have a line in Greenway and Felino and Erickson Eck, that is unlike most lines in the National Hockey League in terms of size and speed and grit. And uh, they, um, you know, they they can muck it up with the best of them. Uh, they haven't been scored on at even strength this season, which is just crazy if you think about it. Um, so that, to me, is what's pretty exciting about this team. But but there's no doubt, as you just alluded to, Julian, that, that Kaprizov stirs that drink. And he gives them this moxie that um, you that is palpable when you see it on the ice. They just follow him. They love him. He's this affable, you know, kid that just you can see the love that he has um, for playing the sport every time he's out there. And he's just got this winning, winning demeanor. And um, it's pretty awesome to watch. He's as good a passer as he is a, a shooter. And his edge work, as you mentioned, Julian, when he gets that hip, those hips moving and he starts, you know, stick handling the pockets like very few guys in this league. And so, you know, he's, he doesn't have the straightaway speed as a McDavid or something like that. But his edge work is as good as most guys in the league. And. Um, you know, probably right up there with, you know, from a forward standpoint, like McCarr. I mean, his edge work is just tremendous. Uh, McCarr is obviously a thoroughbred, but but that's, uh, you know, it, it's just it's fun to watch. I, I You know, I covered Pavel Bure in Florida and Pavel every single night as a sports writer would take me out of my seat. I remember his first power play, his first breakaway goal that he ever had with the with the uh, Florida Panthers. We were on Long Island. I covered the team for years. And it was this mucking, grind, clutch and grab team. I don't even know in the first four or five years of covering the Florida Panthers if I ever even saw a player get a breakaway. And Robert Spella <laughs> hits Pavel Bure for a headman pass on uh, in, at Nassau Coliseum. And Bure skates in and the back of his jersey is flop, flying in the air. And he scores a breakaway goal. And honestly, I almost fell out of the press box in Nassau Coliseum. Because I just couldn't believe that I saw somebody in a Florida Panther uniform do that. And that's how I feel with Kaprizov as well. He just... 
you watch him every shift and his work ethic, his speed, his the scoring chances that he generates um, is is as good as I've seen in this league, uh, definitely in a Minnesota Wild uniform. And so it's pretty awesome. And then they have great. I mean, you know, that's I feel bad for guys like Kevin Fiala, because I'll tell you what, he's on fire right now. Ten goals in his last 14 games. And it, it always feels, Julian, that he gets like the short shrift all the time, because all we do is talk about Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Um, even the, these games where Fiala will score the most clutch goal, eventually Kaprizov will do something to win them the game. And you just like wind up just writing about Kaprizov and you just feel like you're just not giving Fiala his just due. I'll tell you what, I, I grew up in Vancouver and it was in high school when Pavel Bure broke into the league. Yeah. And I have never seen anything like that. Like, I remember yeah. watching Pavel Bure and then people would, like, when I grew up, people would tell me, like, oh, like, they, they watch Guy Lafleur and you never saw anybody like Guy Lafleur. Pavel Bure was my Guy Lafleur. Like, yeah. that's the guy I tell people about. Like, I grew up, like, you have no idea... And 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 I hope Kaprizov is that guy, and and maybe it'll be Trevor Zegers. But I I think there's yeah. there's lots of guys that can can kind of pull you out of your seat. Listen, we've kept you longer than than we said we would. So let me wrap with this question because Friday night we're getting a clash of the two teams that Michael Russo covered over the years. It's the yes. Panthers in the Wild. I need to know how special that would be if that's the Stanley Cup final. What does that mean to you? Uh, it'd be absolutely awesome. And, uh, you know, for multiple reasons, because, you know, I, I just, uh, Brunette, Andrew Brunette is his class of act as I've ever covered. In fact, I'm doing, I'm sitting down with him at, at, uh, his hotel on Thursday and doing a podcast, uh, with him for the athletic. So, uh, wild fans can look forward to that this, uh, this upcoming Thursday or it might come out Friday. We'll see. Um, but, um, it would be a blast. I mean, just to go back to my home to cover something like that, to get to finally, I've covered this league for 27 years, and you know all I want to do is cover a Stanley Cup run, right? Uh, no hockey writer wants to uh, pretty much go on vacation every year after the first round, and that's been my entire career. It feels like, and so um, that would be the blast. But you're right. I mean, it, you know, some fans have dubbed it the Russo Cup. Uh, that sounds a little pompous to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, um, but it is pretty cool uh, if that would happen. I think it'd be great for Wild fans. You know, from a Wild fan standpoint, guys, I mean, th this fan base deserves it. Um, they are such a passionate fan base that every single year they've got to watch other markets get to root on their teams in the, in a cup run. And this market just would give anything for that. I can only like, I have never heard XL energy center. This is perennially been a very quiet sold out crowd. And I think a lot of why I think it's like that in Toronto, Calgary, like places that like are super educated with sport. A lot of times they really just watch it. They watch it almost like a play, right? They talk about it. And, like, they don't, like, go there like Montreal, Julian, and where they just, you know, it's just fun, right? <laughs> at XL Energy Center this year, it is a fun place to be in a lot of ways because of guys like Fiala and Kaprizov. And I just think I can only imagine this building and the electricity that would be created if this market get to, got to cover, got to watch a uh, Stanley Cup run. So if it was Florida, it would be absolutely awesome. Uh, it would be just a real fun, fun time and definitely uh, – you know, I'd be like Andrew Whitworth. I might have to retire after it, right? Like, oh, uh, like, man. get any better. Yeah. So. It, I love how it's the, not the brunette cup. It's the Russo cup. I love yep, it. I exactly. Love yep. It's always about me. I always yeah. say that. Anybody oh listen, there's going to be wild fans that listen to that last line and just like, just like yeah. chuckle because that's sort of my MO, right? It's always yeah. About me. 
Oh so. man. Hey, listen, we, we appreciate the time, uh, because it's been a, a hectic stretch for you, but, uh, and we're looking, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person in a couple of weeks yeah. uh, here, here in Ottawa. So safe travels up uh, north of the border. Uh, keep up the great work. We all uh, love, uh, following along all your Minnesota wild coverage. Thanks for this and, uh, and have a great week. Yep. Uh, thanks Ian. Thanks Julian. All right, Julian, uh, as always going to wrap up the Monday edition of the podcast with a little multiple choice badness here. And l- let's start with this. I want you to look ahead uh, to this week. And there's a couple of really interesting games on the NHL docket this week. Here's what I'm asking you, Julian, what's going to be the game of the week in the NHL? Is it a Pittsburgh at home to Philly on Tuesday? You potentially see Sidney Crosby score goal number 500 on home ice and against our arch rivals. Is it B Colorado at Vegas on Wednesday, a clash of the Titans in the West. And looks like that might be the return date for Jack Eichel. Or is it C uh, just had Mike Russo on talking about the Minnesota wild Panthers wild on Friday, possible Stanley cup preview. What's going to be the game of the week? Julian. I want to watch Colorado Vegas. Uh, I think the Colorado avalanche are destined to go far in the playoffs. Uh, We all know how, interesting last year's series between the Golden Knights and the Avalanche was. Plus, we may get to see uh, Jack Eichel make his debut for the Golden Knights that night. I want to see both those two teams go at it, and I think that matchup is a bit more intriguing than Panthers Wild and seeing Sidney Crosby make uh, reach a milestone. I I think we could be in for a really fun matchup between those two teams, uh, Colorado and Vegas. Yeah, you know what? And and the thing about, like, I want to see Crosby get 500, but that feels like a moment rather than the whole game, right? Like I, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I want to tune in for 60 minutes of the Philadelphia Flyers uh, right know. now. So, uh, but you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Florida, Minnesota. And, and I think I want to see the wild again up against these elite teams from the East. Um, I'm just, I, I love the fact, like, I feel like I've seen a lot of Colorado and I, I'm with you. I'm curious about the, the Jack Eichel thing, but I don't know. Like, I, I think it would be great for the sport if Florida and Minnesota did meet in the Stanley Cup. And even though they have these reputations of being boring or whatever, like, they're not boring. I, I, anyway, I, I, I think I might try and, uh, and, and catch that game, Florida Mini. Okay, one other question for you. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. We're going to put ourselves in Pat Verbeek's shoes. He's the new general manager in Anaheim. Uh, Julian, the, the Ducks are right on the playoff bubble. Like, they're based on win percentage. They would be just out of the wild card spot, but they're literally right there. What do you do if you're Pat Verbeek at the trade deadline? I'm gonna give you a couple options here. Are you a? Are you a seller? You're gonna you got Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm and hey maybe even Ryan Getzloff and you say you know what we're gonna ship them out because that's the big picture plan or is it, or is it B? You know what we're gonna be a buyer. Let's make what we're we're right in the mix. We got Ryan Getzlaff. We got arguably the, a goalie that can steal games and maybe a series and John Gibson. Let's go all in or C? Do you just do nothing? You're like you know what. Let's just see what happens, and we'll go from there. But we're not going to give away guys, and we're not going to trade for guys. What do you do if you're Pat Verbeek? It's like a weird mix of B and C. I think the Anaheim Ducks, if I'm Pat Verbeek and my team has a fighting chance at making the playoffs, considering the fact they've already overachieved, this was a team that uh, at the beginning of the year, I don't think many people were were giving much to, and they were probably expecting them to be near the bottom of the standings, but they've since overachieved. And if they're going to put themselves in that position, I think it's fair to reward the players by adding another piece of reinforcements to help their cause to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't think it hurts 
with the collection of young players that you already have to go for it this year if the players are already ahead of schedule. Um, so I would either do that or or just kind of see what would happen. I don't know if I'm into doing A and just selling and, and getting more draft picks so that way – I mean getting more draft picks obviously helps, but I don't know how that helps. Uh, when you have John Gibson in net who's still playing at a very high level and the team is doing this, I think you have to at least give yourself – give your team a shot. Like I don't think you should waste – any more prime years from John Gibson. Give your team a chance. See what can be done. You don't have to give up the farm to make it work and be competitive, but I think you should at least owe your team the idea to at least do something. Oh, man. I'm really torn. I think it with you, though. Like Somehow the the mix of B and C seems appealing where you don't really do much, but maybe you buy the odd piece. The only thing is, what do you do? Like, if you, if you make the playoffs and you get knocked right out by Colorado or Vegas or somebody in the first round and you get swept out, and then you didn't trade Raquel and you didn't trade Lindholm and they walk out the door. Like, that's the only thing. Uh, you're really building for Trevor Zegers and company now, right? And and um, uh, and, and Jamie Drysdale. And, ah, oh man, I'm torn. I'm really torn on this one. But, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get the answer uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Hey, listen, Julian, we'll leave it there. Uh, this was fantastic. I love you pinch hitting here. Uh, I love Haley. But when Haley can't make it, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call you option A. Man, this was uh, this was fantastic. Option A. I like Option that. Option A. I like that. Yeah. I'm good and, with that. I'm okay yeah. with that. And for our American friends, Option A is spelled E H. Option <laughs> A. Take that. I don't say Gentile, A that much, Justin's, but, but yeah, yeah, Gentile, you're going down. That's right. All right, and, and hey, we'd love to hear for your uh, ideas for what the bet should be between our Monday and Tuesday show with the Olympic uh, gold medal game on Wednesday. Uh, hit us up uh, either on Twitter or on uh, in the comment section. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to this Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Uh, you know we would appreciate that. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all the bonus content from our entire network. You're going to start with a 30-day free trial. And then, boys and girls, it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscription to The Athletic. They're just $3.99 a month. Visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.